There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. I couldn't make we're up my mind. We're not even matching. Wow, we we got unique ones. You see, that's because we're so in sync. Because we just I got did... another one back here. Hang on, hang on. I got one more. Oh wait, one more, one more. For those of you that can't see what we're doing, which is all of you, because I didn't start recording video, unfortunately, but we're <laughs> we're holding up various versions of Voyage of the Dawn Treader that we own, and amazingly, we're, there's no duplicates. We all brought unique Dawn Treader covers. That is coordination for you. I got this one too. It's not a fancy cover, but I got the lame one with the uh, with the soon to be a major motion picture. <laughs> yeah, okay. This has got every. This is the one with every single Pauline Baines. In nice. There. It's oh, got every full, single one. Full, wow, I've never seen that cover with the full color on it. Wow. You know, this reminds me because remember how we were going through Magician's Nephew? Oh, I mean, we still are. But uh-huh. I was like the first my first time reading The Magician's Nephew in this edition. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's illustrations inside. I've never seen those. And I'm like doing the same thing with this copy now. I really need to actually read these. By the way, this is Glumpuddle. And Jim Van. And Rillian. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> surprise. Uh, surprise. <laughs> well, surprise because uh, we're starting. We're kicking off the. Well, this is a little bonus episode before the next season of Talking Beasts officially starts on October seventh. The occasion. It's the seventieth at the time of this publication. It'll be the seventieth anniversary of the publication of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, <laughs> first published September fifteenth, nineteen fifty-two, the third Chronicle of Narnia. Now we can make sound effects. Yes, really. And we've seen all the Pauline Baines. We've seen the Pauline Baines illustrations. Have you, though? Have Have I, though? That's the question. I I had not seen every (laughs) single one of these until I bought this copy. Whoa. Well, now you're a a fan of Narnia. Congratulations. I bought it when I was in Oxford. I still, I still am not. Apparently, I guess as a, as a purist, I guess I should be into the original black and white. But I think she did a fantastic job with the color. I really like it a lot. So yeah, we own a lot of copies of Voyage of the Dawn Treader because it's our. Oh, I love that. Nice. No trampolines in sight. You know, <laughs> I'm showing a picture of the duffel puds. I probably should have uh, asked before we started recording. I mean, really, and Dawn Treader is still your favorite Narnia book, yes? Oh no, no, no! That changed a long time ago. I wondered why you invited me. Yes, it is. Okay, Jim fan, still your favorite. Of course. Okay. Well, let's begin with some breaking news then. Guys, I really <gasps> did some soul searching. No. no. Uh, Dawn, I mean, the first time through the series, Silver Chair is my favorite. It has my favorite character and my favorite scene in it, interestingly. Second time through, um, Last Battle is my favorite. Third time through was Dawn Trader has been ever since. And I really, in preparation for this podcast, I really did a lot of soul searching and rereading it and thinking about how I've changed over the past 20 years or so since it became my favorite. And I will go on record and say it's not my favorite book. <gasps> it's my favorite thing ever created by a human, <gasps> period. What? I oh. love it so much. Um, you had me in the first half, not going to lie. We've got to figure out a way to make things interesting, right? Because we're talking about something we all agree on. Dawn Treader is 
our favorite Narnia book. For me, it's my favorite. Like I said, not just my favorite book, my favorite thing in the universe is on the eighth day, God made the voyage of the Dawn Shredder, basically. Wow. Just my favorite a lot. thing in the world that human has ever made, except my son, I guess. I was going to say. Good <laughs> so how to in, uh, inject some conflict or, or uh, stimulate discussion here. Um, what an interesting way. I thought an interesting way to start a podcast discussion commemorating and honoring this beloved story that's turning 70 years old now would be to talk about some things that people don't like about it or are dissatisfied with. Reactions here. I posted, I did a post in the uh, Facebook group, I guess both both Narnia Facebook group and the Talking Beast Facebook group asking, hey, anyone out there that actually dislikes the Voyage of the Dawn Treader or at least has it as, you know, near the bottom of your list? You know, I mean, I love Prince Caspian, but it's seven out of seven. Um, and what are your reasons for that? And uh, there's a few, got a few responses here. Thanks to Chloe and Kevin and James and Cody. Thanks for humoring us. Even though you do love Don Treader, you still came up with some things you don't. You love are the it. only ones in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> well they're the done. One, they're you the got ones your that, five now minutes you're called saying. out on it. Oh no, I, I, yeah, I had to get their names on the record. Um, nope, that's perfectly fine. I wanted differing perspectives. Um, so uh, Chloe wrote, for some reason, if there is an installment in a series that is set on the ocean or is nautical in any way, it's near the bottom of my rankings. Not sure why that is. That's response number one. Okay, fair enough. Like an automatic disc to Moby Dick, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yep. The Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> I'm kind of like that about desert stories. Uh, there's exceptions like Lord, I love Lawrence of Arabia, but if a story is set it's like in the, the desert. like the ultimate desert story. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's exceptions. Like I love Lawrence Dune? of Arabia. So you hated Dune? You know, that aspect of Dune, I didn't, yeah, I didn't love. Oh. <laughs> Which is like the whole thing. <laughs> it's like the whole thing. I liked it. It's I didn't literally hate Dune. called I Dune. I liked it, except no. for all the parts we in spite, <laughs> In spite of the stuff where they're in a Dune, in spite of that, I still liked Dune, didn't love it. But yeah, when the places I just, Whoa. I grew up in the South my whole life, and I've just had enough of the heat. Because, you know, it's sand, it's rough and coarse, and gets everywhere. Gets everywhere. <laughs> oh my goodness, please. <laughs> I can't gouge out my ears. It's not possible, but I would if I'm motivated enough to gouge out my ears if it were possible. I'll just plug them, but it doesn't have the same dramatic effect. Kevin said, when I was a kid reading the books, I think I was more partial to the battle. So maybe that's it. Um, and look, in fairness, it doesn't have high stakes. I mean, it's indisputably of the Narnia books. It has the lowest stakes. The movie has high stakes. Did that Ooh, make it better? The movie, there's a big green mist on the loose, which like might be doing cough. a thing. Like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Wear a mask. But uh, what, I mean, can we think of any, I mean, Don Treader, lowest stakes Narnia book? Do we agree with that? Like the world is not in peril. Right. They are in peril. The world's not in peril on the horse and his boy or, or magician's nephew either though, right? A horse and his boy, they like they're kind of Narnie's in Narnie peril. Narnie's in peril. I mean, the magician's not nephew, like the, not to like the very end though. In the in the magician's nephew, uh, if they do the wrong thing, they might screw up Narnia, and uh, oops, they screwed up Narnia. And, and also, the but that's not screw up the end. our world because they let Jadis into our world, and she is just wrecking havoc, and they don't Could want have her been to stay. The best MMA female fighter sure. of all time, but that's not till the end. <laughs> Wouldn't have really conquered the world in our world though. I think Magician's Nephew. I say Magician's Nephew. Lower stakes. Yeah, but even with that, there's not, in terms of the world being on the line, even with Magician's Nephew, there's still compelling personal stakes, which is yes. Diggory and his mother. I guess it'd be the silver chair. 
You could say silver chair, but no, I don't know. We're searching for a prince. But Narnia is apparel. <laughs> it's like a, a lost print. Like there's a, there's compelling emotional stakes there that we're trying there's to reunite compelling the father emotional with stakes the son. There's, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. There's no Narnia will fall into winter. There's no big battle where everyone is, go, you know, it, it's like where all of Narnia is going to be thrown into darkness, you know, if they lose kind of thing. I hear what you're saying. Your point is well taken. At least in silver chair, they're looking for... Yeah, they're looking for a prince, and no one like no one is exactly sure who's going to be king after Caspian dies. Basically, so it's oh gonna... no, they might have to draft the constitution and elect a president. That'd be terrible. <laughs> Which would be awful. Um, <laughs> hey, what <laughs> Narnia's doing fine? Okay, don't president hate on the monarchy. Narnia. We'll have a bicameral Congress. Everyone will get along. <laughs> Narnia's doing yeah. fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> It's uh so yeah th- that's something you could uh I'm kind of listing all the reasons why Don Shredder shouldn't work right now but it it is just amazing in spite of it. It's very episodic. I mean that's it's it's a it's it's a lot of different types of I mean in many ways it's it's very reminiscent of Homer's Odyssey. Uh mm-hmm. it's like all kinds it's like here's like a little uh puzzle you kind of have to solve. Here's this weird spell in this one part. Here's a uh, you, here's a oh, here's a sea serpent. You might all die. Yeah, I mean, there is a range of different. It's sort of mm-hmm. like like if it were an RPG, like well, I can't have a maxed out on strength because then he won't mm-hmm. have enough charisma for this. You know, you, uh-huh. can, you need like the well balanced set of uh, people to handle all of the episodes. Yeah, and episodic is the key word there. Um, I can understand people because kind of Don Treader when you get to the end of each chapter. And you put it down and there's no super compelling reason to come back to it in terms of I've got to find out what happens to X because I know there's the seven lords, but do we really care that much about the seven lords? Not really. Not the kind of thing where, oh, I've got to stay up for another half hour and find out what happens to the Lord Restamar. That's not really there. Um, So there's so many all the I, I can imagine Marcus and McFeely and the other like nine or so Don Treader screenwriters listening to this being like yeah i know i know i know all the things we're listing like reasons the john treader story shouldn't work but somehow obviously we all love it so it works in spite of it it doesn't have a villain it doesn't have a world ending plot on the line and every chapter kind of ends in kind of a satisfying way the book's almost asking you to stop reading and yet it just works anyway and i'm hoping that over the course of this conversation we'll start kind of come up with what is the thing that makes the story work, even though it lacks a lot of the, at least a lot of the easy stuff you'd want to have in a story to make your audience get um, involved in it? So we have a list here of our favorite stuff uh, in this book, and it can be really hard to come up with favorites. I know some people that just can't pick a favorite anything. And some of the favorites are going to be kind of a duh yeah. <laughs> I feel like, could we'll be see. um maybe not and that's gonna be a challenge some people are just like well I have my favorite but that's boring so i gotta do something different um i had a friend i was trying to convince her to come up with a like make a definitive top 10 list of her favorite movies and she said oh there's at least 50 movies in my top 10 <laughs> um, there you go i'm not sure if you know how math works no but... it's i relate but it's like hey make yourself come up with a favorite i, I will say this it's hard it's hard because i'll be i'll forget a certain great movie and then you're like really uh-huh. do you think that you think that's a better Film in Apollo 13, like, oh, yeah, I can't. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's a lot easier for me to come up with a favorite film in a category. Uh-huh. Like if you say favorite, favorite war film of all time, you know, uh, yeah, that's a lot easier than saying, you know, you know, unless you're top 10 and then like maybe right. it's maybe we were soldiers is in there. Maybe it's not, you know, 
depending on the day. For me, I often go to like, what is your favorite of this category or genre right now? Because for me, it's often fluid where I have things that will usually always pop up, but I feel like it's less pressure. It you're like, oh, what's your top ten of all time? Oh, I don't it, know. That's a lot of pressure. It, it's so hard. And even just now, like yeah. I said, we were soldiers of the best war film of all team. And then like right after I said that, I thought you forgot about the movie Glory. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. Oh, I got it. Is that better? Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think that's really uh, yeah, because it's so easy to go. Oh, but what if I change my mind? And what do you mean by my favorite? Do you mean the one that I think is objectively whatever that means the greatest, or just the one that I like? And are you mean the one that I feel the most uh, nostalgic? All these look just. Tell me the one that on this particular day, for whatever reason, is your favorite. And even if the list is fluid, exactly. Even if the list is fluid and therefore maybe doesn't have a lot of value because it's constantly changing, I'm telling you, the journey of trying to pick a favorite is still worth going on. You'll learn things about yourself. I have a definitive top 10 movies list. It's probably not valid anymore. But um, why do you call it definitive if it's not valid anymore? It was definitive because because I named it definitive on my <laughs> Facebook post and I haven't changed it yet. Oh my <laughs> so that's why. I mean, because that's go. its name. Our favorite stuff in Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. Um, well, first off, guys, has Voyage of the Dawn Shredder? Start with you, Jim Van. Has it always been your favorite um, Narnie book? I think so. Yeah, I don't recall having a different favorite. So it's just always been Dawn Shredder. What about you, Rillian? No, it's not. Uh, for a long time, Silver Chair was my favorite. Okay. Um. And I think then after the that, maybe The Magician's Nephew. Um, part of it, I, I think, is on one level, I have to say Lewis improved as time went on. And his, his, a lot of elements of his storytelling just got better. Um, I love the line in the woods in the wardrobe. Um, but I, if it had been, if he had, say, written them all before he released a single one of them. And let's say he wrote the line with the wardrobe as the last one uh, over the same amount of time, it would have, it be, might be the best one. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be better written, I think. So um, yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, but I, I've come back to, I think I've come back to the voices on Treader for thematic reasons, maybe more than any other thing. You know, I could go through maybe a very different phase of my life 20 years from now. And maybe I'll, I'll probably have a different book. As my mm-hmm. favorite. Something occurred to me about Don Treader just today. I'm gonna be so in that... old in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, my birthday's tomorrow. Oh, happy Ooh. birthday! Thanks. Mine's happy in a week, birthday. and I I know September baby. Mine's are the best. not anywhere not really. near here. <laughs> no. Well, good. Um, are you fooling, or is that actually That's the case? Real. Yeah. My birthday's see, in see, April. See what I did there. Um, uh, something that occurred to me just today: Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's kind of spoiler proof. You know, you couldn't send out a tweet. We make such a big deal nowadays about don't spoil the latest Marvel movie or whatever. But I don't I think you could spoil the Dawn Treader book with a tweet. Mm-mm. You know, what would you say? I mean, you could say, oh, right. they find they, they, they find the seven lords. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, they the, find the seven lords. Epic adventure. The, they... the, the, the Lord Restamar is a, a statue. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it says so much, though, because so much of storytelling today really relies on the unexpected twists. Think of it like this. You can read a really interest. If you find a really, really well-written autobiography or a really well-written biography, like you can see the movie Black Hawk Down, right? And then mm-hmm. you go read the book. It's, it's a page turner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not about what will happen. It's about how does it happen? And what are mm-hmm. the experiences of the people 
in this mm-hmm. story. Um, yeah, and I so I agree with you. I think that's a I think it reflects C.S. Lewis's <laughs> superior storytelling uh-huh. to what we're we're used to today. You know, um, even with the Harry Potter books, you know, the, the best parts of the Harry Potter books, the parts that people really kind of come oh, back the surprises, to surprises. I think. Well, it, it's they, they're not. It's not. I mean, it has surprise endings and stuff, but it's not so reliant. Oh on it. snap! Not, they forgot the invisibility cloak. Ah, yeah, you know, it's like not those... so reliant on. Uh, it's not so reliant on a, a twist that. You know, you can't reread it and enjoy it. You know, the original Star Wars films are still enjoyable, even if you know, spoiler alert, Darth Vader's Luke's father. But Harry Potter, if we tweeted, you know, so and so dies from the end, true, you know, true. that would, and that happened to me in Th- the sixth that- book. Someone spoiled <gasps> it for me. I literally tackled oh. them. Um, so, um, no, yeah. So you can, e- you can, all the Harry Potter stories, I think you could easily tweet out, especially the later ones, this happens. Um, and, uh, and that would, I think that would probably affect your, I mean, there's still going to be good books. You're probably still going to enjoy them, but that, th- that would affect in some significant way. I don't feel that way about the voyage of the dawn. That's true. I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything that you could fit in a tweet that would, <laughs> um, make it that would. Good I, thing Twitter wasn't around when Empire Strikes Back came out. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I wonder if that's why, you know, after a few readings of the series, Dawn Treader became our favorite. Maybe it has stood up. I mean, all the Narnia books stand up well to scrutiny but Don Treader maybe because it's even less about the actual plot and more about just the atmosphere it's it's a this is true about all the Narnia books but Don Treader in particular it's less about a story I want to go through again and more about a world I want to go back into for a while I just want to be a part of that world and yeah it's the immersiveness Mm -hmm. um which when I think of like series that I love that have or books that have um rereadability even if they do have an aspect of like like harry potter for example like harry potter does have that aspect of yes there are aspects that you don't want to be spoiled because it's learning those things that's enjoyable but i don't keep rereading harry potter because of that i like one thing that i i find really enjoyable and like just nostalgic about like rereading Harry Potter is for the immersiveness and the atmosphere and the things that have nothing to do with the big spoilery plot moments. Well, I think what you're saying, Jim Van, is like the parts where like you're doing something in between chapters. You're just like you're not reading the book, but you're in, you take a quick break and your mind kind of drifts off and you're like thinking of what if I could be in that world? And it's like you know, yeah, you think exactly. that'd be cool to be in, you know, a cool world to experience. And, I think and yet you would be mad too. if I spoiled a Harry Potter book for you, wouldn't you? If I told I mean, you, if I told you that so and so dies, you know, wouldn't that that would make you mad? And it would probably have an, a, a, some impact on. It's still a good book is a yeah. good book. I but mean, it would have that you're impact. asking the wrong person because I actually play very loose when it comes to spoilers for things okay. I just always have. So you're you're okay. asking the wrong person. Well, it's an observation. <laughs> but I, the normal person probably would be. Anyway, um, okay, bad enough. We're gonna do a whole episode about uh, Middle Earth in a uh, you know, the Rings of Power probably shortly. Let's get let's get out of Harry Potter. Um, so um. My observation that I think Void to the John Shredder is more like, look, to some extent, I do believe that spoilers are overrated, but I think it's worth noting that Don Shredder is basically spoiler proof because it's it's not about, even though I've read the book, and this is why I love it so much. What I love about it is they're sailing into the unknown and they could find absolutely anything. It's a magical world, an unknown, unexplored, uncharted part of a magical world. They could there, There's no rules. 
They could find anything at all. And even though I've read the book, when I reread it, I still get caught up in that mystery of what are they going to find? Because I find the romance of that, the allure of that, of exploring unknown worlds. So just in a, I get so caught up in that. And um, that's what, even though there's things I could point to in John Trader that aren't perfect, that maybe could have been better. It's perfect despite the imperfections because that experience is so amazing. One thing I love about Don Treader that is sort of a metaphor for life is it's really a two-layered story. There's a, there's kind of the the main narrative on the day-to-day. We're trying to find the uh, the seven lords. And then there's kind of this meta-narrative in the background of, yes, but within this, there's this overarching pursuit of going towards Aslan's country and, and what are we going to uh, find and whatever they're going to find. And, and at, with every step they get closer. Right. And so I, I love that. Cause like so much of life really is like that, you know, like it or not, we're all, we're all moving towards eternity one day at a time. Um, and that the day yet the daily aspects of your life is, you know, you have the job and trying to make sure you do a good job at work and, you know, you treat your friends honorably, you treat your family honorably, and you're, you're doing these nitty gritty things day in, day out, and you have these short term goals, and then you have these long term goals, and you know, all these things, but it all fits within this bigger picture. And the story of Don Treader, if you take away this bigger picture, it does become a, a, a lot of the magic does die uh, if you didn't have Reaper Cheap and his quest. And so that's something I think relates very well to I how I kind of see life. Um, and in some ways, I think that's why the story holds up so well as its own book. Like I can just, it's it's a little harder. Like if I reread The Magician's Nephew, I'm kind of like, oh, I really want to reread Lion of the Wardrobe again, you know? Um, or some of the others kind of go like in pairs, like Prince Caspian goes really well with Lion of the Wardrobe. Yeah. But it's for some reason, like, yeah, even though, wardrobe prince caspian and then don treader make a really nice trilogy i feel fine reading don treader just by itself it works very well just yeah, reading yeah. It by itself for it some is. reason and I, I don't fully understand why but maybe that's part of it and you know what i think lewis originally i mean it's just kind of true with all the narnia books but he kind of he intended it to be the last narnia book um so this was mm-hmm. going to basically close a trilogy and i kind of think it's a more satisfying ending to a series than the last battle is in a lot of ways actually I no I, the- I think so i think if he had ended it at three no one would complain yeah, and I think, but this is just as an ending to a series, and this is a more effective climax to a series than The Last Battle is. This kind of leaves you wanting more in a great way, where I kind of yeah. think The Last Battle is maybe a little bit too satisfying in a way, but we'll get to our Last Battle book commentary eventually. It doesn't leave as much room for the imagination. I mean, you have, Re- it's interesting, you have Reaper Chief going to Aslan's country, you have Reaper Chief in Aslan's country at the end of both books. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I mean, they, 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 like Lewis had to bring Repeat back. It was right. like, okay, well, that was that ending. We got to bring him into this ending to make it fully satisfying. But uh, we're going to get to our favorite characters, favorite scenes, favorite lines in a minute here. I wanted to read some posts. I just asked uh, in the Talking Beast Facebook group, I asked, hey, why, what, what do you love about the Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Michelle said, I love the adventure feel. In most other books, there are battles or mentions of battles, but in Dawn Treader, you don't have any battles, but an amazing journey. David said, uh, I know it's cheating. But I love Reaper Cheap's single-mindedness to reach the utter east. And it's funny how, but when you were talking, really, and it made me realize, I mean, Reaper Cheap's longing for the world's end, that's the heart of the book. That's kind of the thing you remember as soon as you're done reading. And yet, it's very, it's 
not really ever established as like this is this is what this story is about. It's a thing you come to be more it's drawn about to a as lot the book less. goes on. Yes, it's, it's amazing how much you remember it and the impact it has. Lewis does very little legwork uh, actually establishing it. It's just Reaper Cheap is so compelling as a character, and I'm with him. I want to see. Well, can you just go off the edge of the world? Or is there going to be Asin's country there? What's it going to be like? And I'm just, even though it's subtle there at the beginning, I'm I'm so with, with him. Um, oh, I love it. Reaper Cheap so much. I, and I think that, but that's so... That's so true to life. You know, you look at someone mm-hmm. like at the end of their life, you know, you're uh-huh. looking at, if you look at an old man or an old woman at the end of their life where they've just passed, you you see, you're looking at their whole, kind of like their whole life, this overarching, what was their pursuit in life? Uh-huh. What what mattered to them, right? What mattered the most to this person? That's honestly how we, a lot of times how we remember the dead. What mattered the most to this person in their life? Yeah. Whereas in the, for them in their day to day, even if that's very true, Right. Most of what they talk about and what they're working towards, like, oh, I got to get this goal. I got to, you know, I'm trying to, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with this with the kids or we're you know, mm-hmm. marrying this person. You have all these like daily things, these daily episodes or monthly or yearly episodes, right? Or this job or this career. But then at the very end of your life, you look back and that's not going to be, mm-hmm. you're not going to be thinking about that frustrating day at the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be on your deathbed and go, remember that one time at the office? Oh, it was a Tuesday. Everything, everything we got to work, man. I'm so frustrated. You're not going to think <laughs> about that, that even if it was a big deal at the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I just oh, rapey cheap. Ah, oh, love him so much. On that note, favorite characters, uh, Jim Fan, give us your favorite character in this book. Eustace. It's Eustace. It's your favorite character. It's all, all the books, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say so. It was like 15 years ago when I wrote your little podcaster bio. So yeah, I was going to say I, I don't, don't think, think I've changed, really changed it. I don't think I've changed. <laughs> I don't it. think it's changed. <laughs> Why do you love Eustace so much? I think he has a good arc where mm-hmm. he starts off not as he's almost like the villain of the story. Like he ah. is the the thing that they're like butting up against and is the problem. Like not really a villain because again, it's not that kind of high stakes. But an antagonist of some kind. He, yeah, he's the problem. Uh-huh. And then he becomes not the problem. And then in sub and then in Silver Chair, you sh- you know, he gets a chance to really take more of a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, you know, he's still very flawed as a character, but you get to see a lot of growth and progression where he changes so much between the three stories mm-hmm. that he's in. Right. Um and I think he's funny, which, you know, mm-hmm. is always high marks in my book. <laughs> Now, that, that's, a, that's another great example of something that if you were going for the easy, just trying to grab your reader's attention. Yeah, Eustace, would, they would have kept him in his the state he is in the beginning of the book. They would have kept him in that a lot longer and they would have yeah. made more conflict from that. You know, mm-hmm. it, that would be the obvious thing to do. It is really unexpected when actually Eustace has this profound transformation in like chapter five, like the, the first third of the book. <laughs> um, it's a man on paper, as far as attracting your audience and just trying to keep it, your audience engaged, Lewis kind of does everything wrong in Don Treader, doesn't he? I mean, like, and the, the screenwriters, mm-hmm. unfortunately, of the movie know this oh too well, clearly, because they tried to undo all the things that Lewis did. Um, but uh, it's just yeah. that's there's I'm just amazed by how many things this book does wrong on paper, and yet it's it just sucks you in anyway. Rebecca in the Facebook group also mentioned uses his character development um, and the, the horse, the undragoning um, is just so compelling. Ah! 
ah, I don't want this whole episode to just be, it's so good. But it I is, mean, it's but so that's, good. That's what this is supposed to be. It's just like an overexcited fan, fan, fan. It's a very believable character transformation that happens very, very quickly. I mean, look at where he is in chapter one to where he is in like chapter five or six or whatever. It's very, very believable. It's also to speak to how Eustace is fleshed out as a character. Um, Certain, you know, Lewis tells, use different modes to explain salvation, right? Uh Edmund and Aslan's sacrifice to buy him back from the witch Uh is explains like an aspect of salvation, right? Eustace's transformation, it, it takes, it looks very different but it explains uh-huh. another side of salvation, right? But the way that Eustace is redeemed, it, his transformation as a character makes more sense in the story of why he would start to behave differently uh-huh. uh, than Edmonds does, I think. And start but to behave differently. He to start to behave be differently. But boy. it's because Eustace really goes through a purification process, a san- kind of a sanctifying effort, um, uh-huh. which is fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Rebecca mentioned, uh, she, Rebecca, Rebecca wrote, I especially love how Lewis made it clear that it didn't happen all at Dragon Island. That was the start, but he still had more growing to do. I think, again, it's just a little thing, just a sentence sentence or two Lewis throws in there, but that feels very true, and that feels very real. Uh, and it's a good example of Lewis. The books aren't that long and aren't that detailed, and in a sense, the characters aren't as developed as other fantasy series might be, but they feel what's in there feels so real, and he gets all the details right. Rillian, your favorite character in this book? Reby Cheap. Oh, I'm surprised. Speaking of spoilers, <laughs> I hope no one finds out. I know. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, Lucy is such a close second. Um, mm, but I just love all of the them. characters. You know, one of the reasons why this is my favorite book is just like, I feel like the cast of characters is just the best of all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caspian is really interesting. He's much more interesting in this one than he is in prince caspian um agreed he's much more of a driving force lucy is so fascinating because you see we see kind of some more of her flaws um uh really i think that the best books for lucy like prince caspian and voids of the dawn treader we lucy is so fascinating but reapy cheap i just can't get away from it just i just love the character he's Mm -hmm. He's the character that we, he's so ridiculous in so many ways. He's so outlandish. And yet uh-huh. you can't think, help but think I would be so much a better person if I could emulate him so much more. He's, uh, you know, his courage, his bravery. One of the things I love about Ruby Cheap is he is one of the best at keeping perspective. In many ways, he, he's so outlandish, but he's also one of the most level-headed in some ways. You know, we see this with the sea dragon, right? Where he's the one who says, don't fight, push. Uh-huh. Even though he, he's the one always looking for a fight. But I love how uh, when he reaches Aslan's country, or he's about to reach Aslan's country, one of the things that it occurs to him to do, he just casts his sword into the ocean. He says, I, I won't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and you think about Reepicheep with his sword, and it's such an iconic, iconic image. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him... The sword, it's kind of like the line about Faramir. I do not know love the sword for its brightness. So I love only that which they defend. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to defend anything anymore. And so he's uh-huh. able to throw his sword away with no hesitation. Yep. No hesitation or bitter sweetness. He mm-hmm. throws it away because the time has come. That chapter is closed. We realize this is what it really all pointed to. This is what it really all meant. Well, and I thought about that. I think, I think about that all the time with myself. Like I think, what things in my life do I love too much? Or am I too attached to? Because you think... What what things would you 
be willing to just cast aside, you know, if, if the time came. And so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, Reaper Jeeps is one of my favorite characters. It's always been a toss up between Peter and Reaper Jeep. Uh, I've never really been able to decide which one I like the best, but, um, He's a love him or hate him character, but most people love him. But I've talked to people that don't, and I can understand that. Who I can totally are they? get who, who? My own sister. Oh, what? Oh, because I, I remember talking about someone first... just got called out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you a, is this a blood relative? Yes. Oh, I, I have to admit it. <laughs> so, what does this unnamed sister, not saying you should name her, <laughs> to dox her for the world? But what what does she hate about Reaper Chief? Specifically, I remember talking about, I think she was reading the books and she just finished reading the Dark Island chapter. And she was saying she was so annoyed at Reaper Chief for saying we should go into the darkness when clearly, no, you <laughs> idiot. And in her mind, it's like it's watching the horror movie where, no, don't split up. No, that's obviously stupid. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, it, I, I understand it that if, if you're not caught up in the romance of adventure and sailing into the unknown, I completely understand why that would irritate yeah. you. But the fact is, but I do get caught up in it. Reaper Chief does a lot of dumb things because of the honor of it. And I love him for it. I love it. <laughs> but man, in the hands of a different author, that could go very, very wrong. I, I get it. And you know, it's funny because you see that, you see it played out today because there are some people who would who would say, why in the world would we ever take the risk and spend the money to go to the moon or go to Mars? Like, why would we ever do that? And then there's other people like me who are like, this is incredible. We'll uh-huh. risk death and <laughs> horrific, fiery, furnacy death to uh-huh. go to the moon or Mars. You know, this is incredible. Uh-huh. You know, and so I, I, it's different mindsets too. Well, it's interesting. I think just in the past couple of years, my wife and I have discovered that there are a lot of people, maybe probably most people, are not nearly as excited by uh, space travel as we are. Like we've just taken it yeah. for granted. Of course, going to the moon is extremely cool. Yeah. Uh, of course, the possibility <laughs> of going to Mars is extremely cool. We can have debates on is that the best use of taxpayer dollars and stuff. We can, that's fine. We can have that discussion, but it is cool, right? <laughs> yeah. It's but a lot of people. Cool. But a lot of a surprising number of people are just don't get that at all. They they don't think it's cool. It's like, well, what is the moon? What does the moon have to do with? I mean, I, I know it affects the tides and stuff, but like, as far as my <laughs> daily life, what does it have to do with me? Who cares? Anyway, shocked. <laughs> and people think it's not cool because it obviously is so cool. Yeah, probably, if you love the Chronicles of Narnia and you're listening to a Narnia podcast, you probably think that space travel is cool. But, but am I wrong? Post a comment below. I think I suspect there's a correlation there. Our fans are obviously like the highest tier of humanity. <laughs> Therefore, well, no, 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 that's not all I'm saying. I guess that's one of the things I'm saying. But I'm also yeah. saying, um, <laughs> especially our Patreon supporters, thank you, Knights of Narnia Web, um, even higher tier. <laughs> Knights of Narnia Web are known for being very brave. They probably think at least going to the moon is cool, even if they personally don't want to do it. I think Don Treader in particular. We've listed a lot of the reasons why Don Treader on paper doesn't work. Um, like, yeah. like, like Lewis does a lot of things wrong and yet it's so amazing anyway. And I think that if you're one of those people that got caught up in it, despite not having the villain, despite not having the, the world's going to end, despite not having all these usual things, if you got caught up in it anyway, you're probably the kind of person that would think that going to the moon and Mars is cool. If I could go to the moon, I would definitely go to the moon. If you go to the moon. Oh, you would. If I like, could be excited. I would go to the moon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The answer isn't. Yeah, but you know some people. But if you want to go to Mars, it you'll it'll sterilize you. So you know. Well, like Mars would be like you'd be gone for like years. So it also sterilizes um, you. That's why they're looking at people who are like age fifty and over to be oh, okay. the astronauts. Oh my god! So yeah, we have to talk about what's the cost. Because yeah, 
<laughs> we have to talk about what's the cost. Um, but but, but generally, it would be cool. yeah, it would be cool. But no, I talked to my okay. I'm sorry to throw my whole family under the bus. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my brother, my, my younger okay, brother, you've got a number of siblings yet to go. My younger brother like would not want to go to the moon. I'm like, of course you would. Like it, it might be like I understand if it's like, oh, it's going to take years of training and stuff. I don't want to go to the moon. Well, obviously that's the case because look, I'm not an astronaut, am I? But like, well, look, if you could go there with, Where are a, you? We don't know. It's just an online persona. But if you could go life. to the moon, walk on the moon with relatively minimal inconvenience, let's say, hey, you're just going to be gone for like you know right. a week or something. Yeah, you, you go to the moon. He's like, yeah. no, who, who cares? Why would I go to the moon? There's a lot of other places I'd rather go. The moon's just a d- desert. Who cares? <laughs> oh my gosh! He's and no, we he, come full circle. He's not wrong. Oh, it's as if, the desert. Right? I don't believe him because, like, as if, as if he wouldn't post that selfie. <laughs> exactly. It's like, hey, look like, here. Okay, Earth. yeah. If it's really not a big deal, we'll send you to the moon. Give you, let you take a selfie, and then watch you not ever post yeah. it or share it. But it's just like, and what am I supposed to tell him? He's saying things that aren't untrue. He's saying like the moon's just a bunch of dust. Like there's places I could go on Earth that are way cooler than the moon. You're not wrong, but it's the moon. It's the moon. <laughs> and I think if you're that kind of person that goes, yeah, but it's the moon, you're probably the kind of person that loves the Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, even though it doesn't have this green mist or world ending plot or super or really stakes, cool CGI you know. dragon. Yes. You probably love, that's what I'm saying. There's probably a connection there. Post a comment below if I'm wrong or if I'm right. You know, you can also post comments that tell me, I love what you said, Glum Puddle. It was great. That's also allowed. He needs to hear that every now and then. <laughs> uh, I need to hear. I need to know how right I am. That's why I invite you guys on. Um, that's but, why uh, he has a podcast. That's all. only reason we're here. Here to validate you. Speaking of being right, about Rebitch was my favorite character too, by the way. Um, it was Abdullah. Tosa. Oh, yeah, shocker. Shocker. It, it, it was Hammer Lord I am shooketh. Came down to Hammer Lord Burn. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, no, Roop. Um, favorite scenes Um, Jim Fan give me your favorite scene in the Voyage of the Dawn Shredder and it has to be one that no one else has thought of it's just your favorite I'm kidding well that clearly is not ever gonna happen Um, Mm. I don't know if it's a specific scene but definitely the chapter where Eustace is journaling Okay. I've always loved uh, uh, that. Okay, so the journal, that's like a page and a half. Okay, we can call that a scene. Okay. Because it leads into like it made scenes. it a scene okay. in the BBC uh-huh. version. It yeah. got to be a scene. True. So uh, wait, of all the okay, I'm this is very interesting. I know you said it's your favorite character. So like of all the things you could have picked, and this is not I'm not picking on you, you're You just asked me to pick one. No, you know, that's fine. I, that's the one that came to my mind. Sure. So that's the one to pick. Okay. So what is it as opposed to the, the island where, you know, you turn things into gold of the invisible people of, you know, um, you're like asking serpent. me to choose between my children. Like, there's uh, no, so many no, 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 no. I'm just saying like, like what made you, I'm not saying you're wrong. Like what made you think of the, the Eustace, uh, journal entries as your favorite scene? Because I have always thought that it is because, okay. I like Eustace, right? Yeah. I think he is an interesting character and his inner dialogue I have always thought is hilarious. And so every time I read it, it makes me laugh. Therefore, it is my favorite out of many favorites. But that's the one that came to mind. Okay. I respect that a lot. In fact, I'm going to look up a recording. You don't this. sound like you do. <laughs> no, I, I do respect it a lot. <laughs> what, what, what? I'm just, I'm re- recording this. I just want to see uh, really quick uh, what day. Oh. And I quote, uh, 
Champion, I respect your dumb opinion. <laughs> That's what I heard. No. Uh, fun fact: We're recording this on September second. Uh, tomorrow, September third, is the day Lewis. Uh, that's the date of Lu- of Eustace's first journal entry. Coincidence? Oh. Coincidence? Yes. I My birthday. Think <laughs> <not>. <laughs> okay, and then uh, for those that care to look, the day where the mountain is bigger and clearer is my birthday. Wait, and so tomorrow is your birthday, really? Birthday. Okay, so yes. we already revealed that to the world. So that's uh, the day. Everyone, the please began. send him a belated birthday card. Do it. Uh, oh, and my birthday's over too at this point. By the time this gets published, uh, my favorite scene. In my first instinct was, well, you know, the ending, you know, all that stuff. That's the first instinct, but I won't do that. It's so the, good. the ending, all what that came stuff. to mind. Good summary. What came to mind is Death Water because I love the Ooh. the concept of the water that turns things into gold. Um, I'm trying to think, why do I love it so much? I seem to love it a lot more than um, I think most people do. In fact, there's a poll over here. Let me pull this up really quick. Let me pull this up really quick. I did a poll in the Talking Bees Facebook group where I asked, what's the most interesting island? And the reason uh, I, I use that is because I've done this. I've done the poll several times over the years where I phrased it as like, what's your favorite island? And uh, Swan White from the Lion's Call uh, noted that it's interesting. These results seem to be sorted according to which island has the most food. <laughs> and it was true. Like, Romandu's Island was at the top. Um, so I went, okay, that's not quite – I'm not getting at which island would you most want to retire in or li- or visit, you know. Which one? So I, I, so I changed the question to, like, which island do you find the most interesting? Um, and we had uh, 29% said the Land of the Duffers was the most interesting, possibly because the Magician's Book stuff is grouped in there, too. Um, Deathwater only got twelve percent, but so I think I've always responded to Deathwater even more than other people. And is that like the th- second or third? Down? What were the like top three? So the top one is Land of the Duffers, twenty nine percent, and at a close second is Romandu's Island with twenty six percent. Then Dragon Island with eighteen yeah. percent. Then Deathwater with twelve percent, and Poor Lone yeah. Islands only gets seven percent. Oh, look at that! Dar- dark Islands in last place. How'd that happen? I know it's a lot of darkness. No like that would be the most interesting because we never really get. They never get to shore. It's probably like everyone's <laughs> second favorite, you know. So therefore, you know, it ends up low on the vote. The the, the range. yeah, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's not how it's not where they'd want to retire. That's for sure. So maybe they just weren't thinking about it as far as interesting. This is not statistically sound. Data. No, that's true. If like if for most people it's like happens to be their second favorite, then it's gonna get no votes. Like Rotten Tomatoes, if everyone. Uh, um, <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Uh, we need to find a more statistically sound way of gathering this. Stuff. That's I, oh, I, I'm not suggesting the Facebook poll is the best <laughs> way to gather. <laughs> okay, uh, but I I will say yeah, this reflects. In general, I've seen that de- I seem to be more excited by Death Water than most people, and that's why I ended up picking it for the purposes of this discussion. Um, there's something about it's just a beach, and look, it's just water, and then oh my gosh, actually it turns things into gold. I think that magic of it's just something normal and mundane. Just kidding. It turns things into gold. I guess it comes back to things like the wardrobe. It's just a closet. Just kidding. It's a portal to another world. What's interesting also about Deathwater is the effect that every casting kind of realizes. Uh Uh-huh. Or or that Reepicheep realizes the interest. The most interesting thing is what it would do to the people. Yeah. Psychologically, I mean. Yeah. And how they can't tell people about it. Because people would fight wars over Deathwater. I don't remember what I said in the Dawn Treader book commentary, but... um, my interpret at reading it again recently, Deathwater scene. My interpretation was that Aslan basically, as a mercy, wipes their memory at the end. 
because human no human will be able to stand having this knowledge that there's an island out there with water that turns things into gold. So that's kind of how I read it. As a mercy, Aslan literally does wipe their memory in some way or another. Um, and and I think it's a really great what would I do in that situation kind of thing. Like, oh, well, could they just take some of the water back with them or could they revisit it? How, how would it even work? And and I, I immediately started like playing that out. What, what, what if I could just like have this, have all the gold I wanted and how would that affect the economy? And blah, blah. Um, but I, I just, uh, I love the mundane that turns out to be magical. And I love the, what would I do in that situation? I love the beauty of, wow, what a pretty statue. And then the horror of realizing what it is. So I, I love all the reversals in that scene. I love it. Uh, Rillian, this is running long. Favorite scene? Uh, the Magician's Book. Okay, go on. Mm. Uh, there's just so much you learn about Lucy and it. It's really fascinating. I mean, there's the the incredible story about the hill and the cup and the sword and the, that she forgets. And there's the the wish, you know, to be beautiful. And then there's the eavesdropping spell. Um, I think what was interesting about that one, Lucy's a, a one of the great heroines of the books, and it's a very human mortal moment for her where you see a lot of her flaws and at the same time you instantly realize that it's nothing really unique to her she's just just a human being i think you you put yourself in that situation too and you immediately realize that you're no better because there's a lot of times where you see like a character go through a flaw and sees you kind of how dare judge. that character you judge that character right oh it, you know but this is lewis Rison in such a way you kind of realize uh, that you would probably do the same thing if you had the ability to just, you know, uh-huh. boom, be whatever it is, better looking, stronger, smarter, whatever it is, and you could just do it. Most people would. If you could just find out, I wonder what this person really thinks of me. Most people would. Um, and how it's kind of a, a blessing that we have these restrictions. But uh, I, the, the spells are so different. Um, even the ones that we, she doesn't really read off. It's like just, all, just a random uh-huh. list of all these weird spells. Yeah. It leaves you wanting more. It, it does. Every time I reread it, I'm like, oh, I forgot. I totally forgot about that. I thing. know. I know. I, so I just like there. that part of it. it. It never gets old. And it's just always fascinating what the conversation with Aslan after and just the different spells. and That's a great example. I think that scene of like, as you get older and you change as a person, that scene kind of means different things. That whole thing. You find different things that mm-hmm. have more relevance to you. And certain things become more memorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was a kid, the most memorable part about the scene uh, was she had the opportunity to to look more beautiful? Uh huh. When I got older, the most memorable part about of the spells is the one where she can eavesdrop. Okay, we're running long. Let's go on to favorite line here, Jim Fan. Favorite line in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I'm, I'm, I don't <laughs> doubt you've read the entire thing several times to make absolutely sure this is definitely your number one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it hasn't changed in 15 years. Okay. Oh, I know what this is going to be. There was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I have that listed in my notes as honorable mention. He was called <laughs> Eustace Clarence Scrub. Is that what I said? Oh, it. it said called. I said name. Your favorite line. But yes, that is one of the best openings to a book ever. Really, and uh, you only get one. Give me your favorite line in The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. It's from Ramandu, where Eustace, uh, he talks about being a star. Eustace says, in our world... Said Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. Even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. 
I think there's so much wisdom in that that line. I think about I think about it all the time. For now, it's my favorite line, even though there's other lines that sound cooler, like I love Reapy Cheap's bit, you know. But yeah, I think about this line all the time. I think you ended up picking something that really spoke to you intellectually, and you, you think about it all the time. Uh, the one I chose is one because when I think about it, I'll well up. <laughs> even out of context, it just makes me cry to think about it. I hope I can get through it here. But it's... Uh, for one split second, they saw its shape and reap cheeps on the very top. Then it vanished, and since that moment, no one can truly claim to have seen reap cheep the mouse. But my belief is that he came safe to Aslan's country and is alive there to this day. I don't... There's this... In the fields. I love... I love that the, the optimism... I love the narrator as a character in that moment of saying, I think he made it. And uh, that he, the image of at Reepicheep getting his heart's desire, but we don't quite see it. We can kind of imagine it. And I love the author even doesn't even know. I love I just love the knowing kind of tone that I imagine the author having here of. But it's my belief that he's alive there to this day. And that I mean, technically people saw him afterwards because there's the last battle. But um, but uh, <laughs> it makes me well up. I think that's my favorite line. So many other lines we could adopt. Uh, gone through. Thank you, Jason, Cody, Rebecca, Tim, Tavali, Christy, uh, for posting ideas. Uh, that's it. That's everything you could possibly want to know about the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. No, it definitely isn't. Uh, we actually did this. Uh, <laughs> I think we somehow managed to do it in just like five parts or so, a Dawn Treader book commentary several years ago. Uh, there's a little bit more in that. Uh, we managed to not pick on the movie too much uh, in this discussion. That's good. <clears throat> there was a there's post a by... <laughs> oh wait i saw it in the five dollar bin at walmart <laughs> you only saw it once you're a hero um uh if you like the I don don movie thank you for listening post a comment below we disagree that's okay uh cody posted something in the facebook group uh cody said maybe a good way to express it is this i'm planning on doing a series on my blog the adaptationstation.com where i go through the narnie movies scene by scene with Don Treader, I think I'm going to be quoting the book and then writing, wasn't that much more interesting than what the film did every other post? <laughs> yeah. So you don't even need to listen to our audio commentary on the movie now. Cody just summed it up there perfectly. Okay. Uh, for the post-show chatter, I want to talk to you guys about uh, if you think it's possible that your favorite book or movie might change someday, or are you too like locked into it at this point in your life? Could it ever change? That's going to be our topic for the post-show chatter, which will be linked in the discussion below. Thank you, page or in the in the the description below. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Rillian, do you want to go ahead and take the newly written outro? Sounds good. Watch me fumble it. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast. Visit narniweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or a question below or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. You can also email us at glumpuddle at narniaweb.com, jimfan at narniaweb.com, and rillian at narniaweb.com. Special thanks to all our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Narnia.